having that mindset that says my goal is to see if there's a fit rather than my goal is to keep talking until they slip into a coma and buy something mm -hmm. will serve people really well. So it's my job to point them in the direction that is in their best interest. And if you do that, you will have a long and successful career in field sales. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Hey guys, well today we're uh, we're talking with Ian Altman, and we're we're talking about targeting leads that actually close. Um, Ian is uh, Ian is a, an expert in this space. Um, he he Ian started and uh, sold and grew his companies worldwide to values of more than a billion dollars. He's a keynote speaker, best-selling author, and a CEO. His businesses help B two B companies improve their sales strategy and achieve strategic growth. Uh, Seth Godin, who's a, a pretty big deal, recommends Ian's latest book, Same Side Selling, as one of only two books to read on B2B selling. The other one being Spin Selling from, from 1988, which is obviously, uh, obviously a classic. That's one, my, uh, one, one of my earliest sales managers told me, you have to go read this immediately when I was like you know, 25 years old. Um, so you can read Ian's columns on uh, every week in Forbes and, and Inc. Magazine. He, he, has a, he also has a fantastic podcast uh, that I've listened to, uh, Grow My Revenue Business Cast is the name of it, Grow My Revenue Business Cast, which you can find on iTunes. So Ian, thanks for, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great to uh, chat again. Uh, how, are things on, how, how have things been on your end? You know what? Fantastic. It's, uh, you know, in, in my industry, it's a... Uh, it's, uh, I spend a lot of time on airplanes, but, uh, I have the pleasure of working with a lot of great people. So it's all good. Fantastic. Yeah. I've been, I've been doing a lot of airplanes lately myself. The, the, the one problem with living in California is you end up on a lot of flights to the East coast and, and to Europe and Europe is really, really far from California. It's, it's a real, it's well, a real the, the good news is if you do it enough, it doesn't seem like that far. And then all of a sudden, then Asia becomes far and then you get numb to Asia being far. And pretty soon it's like, well, Australia is far and South Africa is far. The rest, yeah, not so bad. It's like we take a vacation with the family and let's say it's five hours away and my family's like, oh, it's five hours. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> only five hours. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah, this is easy. Yeah, we, we uh, so I've never been to Australia. We, we, Badger, Badger Maps has a lot of business in Australia because, uh, um, well, I've actually asked them why Badger is so popular, and they say that they, they're like, oh, we just love maps. And I'm like, why, why do you love maps so much? And they're like, well, you know, they, they apparently have a really strong geography education in grammar school, and so they, they, end, up, uh, they end up really, like, the, the product that we make really resonates with them, and, uh, and so they end up, they, it's very popular there. So and, you should start uh, lobbying for geography um, uh, education throughout the world now. That that's right, yeah. It's well, it's it's crazy. Like you know, Australia is a, a fraction of the population of of England, right? Uh, for just as an example, and but we do more business in Australia than we do in England. I think just because they're they're just they really uh, they love maps. Uh, Interesting. So. Anyway, so what we're going to talk about today is uh, you know, I, I I wanted to to focus on just picking your brain and getting your insights for for our listener, and our listener is obviously a field salesperson or the manager of a field sales team or a, a, the operate, sales operations person for a, a field sales team. But 
I, I wanted to kind of get your key insights with the, with the areas of your expertise for this specific type of sales. That's cool. So fire away. All right. So um, first thing I wanted to ask you, what mindset do top performing outside salespeople have that, that, would, uh, that would make them achieve great results and close more deals? Well, so I'll give you an idea of what that mindset is, and then I'll, and then I'll explain why it is. So the, the main mindset to have is, and this will sound counterintuitive, is to not have the mindset of my job and goal is to sell to everybody I meet. And that may sound counterintuitive. Well, how could the top performing people not have the mindset of closing business and selling to everybody they meet? And what happens is this, is that if you show up to a, to a prospect, you can show up in one of two ways. You can either show up as somebody who's there to sell something or someone who's there to solve something. And none of us likes to feel like we're on the receiving end of being sold to. So if you show up and your mindset is, I'm just there to sell to anybody who has money in their pocket, whether it's a fit or not, then that comes through in your body language and your tone and the other people tend to shut down. That's when you don't get honest information. You don't have a dialogue. People shut down. And then you're, you're just like, um, it's the, um, it's, it's the mushroom metaphor. So they, you know, they keep the you in the dark, metaphor the mushroom metaphor. Yeah. They keep you in the dark and they throw manure on you. And that's basically, um, how you're expected to grow. So that's the, uh, heard that. that's the mushroom metaphor. Um, <laughs> I don't know that anyone else ever coined that, but that's the way I look at it. So oh, I, I'm, um, getting a, I'm getting a t-shirt made. Right okay. <laughs> so, so the, the idea though, is that we don't want to be in the dark having people throw, you know, um, manure on us. So we want to have these open dialogues. And so the mindset you need to have is look, my goal is to see if there's a fit between what we're good at solving and what these people, um, what these people have in terms of their challenges. And if they have the same challenge that we're good at solving, then there's something worth talking about. And if they don't, then it's not worth talking about. So that having that mindset that says, my goal is to see if there's a fit rather than my goal is to keep talking until they slip into a coma and buy something mm -hmm. will serve people really well. Okay. So, so just to make this actionable, what would you ask if you were, if you were selling uh, dental implants to dentists, a common field sales role. Okay. What would, how, how would you, what would you ask the dentist to? Well, to first, first, first thing I would wonder, first thing I would wonder is, well, so if it's a dentist, they already are getting dental implants from somebody else. Mm -hmm. So if they're not buying from me, they're already buying from someone else. So the first thing I would do is I'd want to learn about the competition. And that's usually something that is scary to people. It's like, well, I can't just flat out ask about the competition because it's going to be confrontational. Right. So instead, what I would do, though, is I would ask questions and it's very, yeah, I have to be very careful about how I present it. So if you were the dentist, I'd say, well, listen, Steve, you know, I realize you're already buying from someone else. We always like to get a sense what other people are doing that maybe we're not doing, but we should be doing. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me some of the things you like about your current implant provider? Mm -hmm. And they'd say, oh, well, I like this. I like this. I like this. I like that. Because they pick that vendor. So I can't say, why do they suck? And Because the, the dentist is thinking, well, if they sucked, I wouldn't be using it. Right. So I ask them, what do you like about them? So if you could change one or two things, what would those be? And they'll probably go, huh. Well, and then they'll list the two or three things that they wish they could change. That's when you as the rep have to do some soul searching and say, huh, do we solve those problems that their current vendor doesn't solve? And do we do the things they do well, at least as well as they do? And if the answer is yes, then I have a pretty good fit. 
Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if I'm selling to somebody who already likely has an existing relationship, I just want to find out to a certain degree how satisfied they are with their current vendor. Now, if I ask that question, were you satisfied with your current vendor? In most cases, they're going to say yes. And if I ask a question like that, the reason why it's a bad question to ask is that it's all centered around their perception of the person who's trying to sell them something. So if I say, well, do you like your current vendor? What their thing is, well, if I say no, you're going to try and sell me something. If I say yes, you get the hell out of my office. I'm going with yes. Because they weren't waking up that day hoping a salesperson was going to call on them. So in the example I gave, I started by disarming, by saying, hey, we always like to get a sense of what other people are doing that maybe we're not doing, but we should be doing. What are some of the things you like about your current vendor? Then what do you wish you could change? Then I might ask, well, is the potential of solving those issues that aren't being solved for you now worth a discussion about how we might be able to help? And keep in mind, I don't yet know if we can help. But would it be worth a discussion to see if we might be able to? Yeah. And now, once you have that dialogue, it's magic. Yeah. No, that, that's that, this is perfect. I think this is exactly what uh, what our listeners are looking to hear. Um, you know the 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 qual- qualification by truly understanding your customer and and know and then the best sales reps are the ones that are able to because they've qualified they're able to spend time focusing on the the accounts that really have the opportunity to close because there's really a great fit with your with your company's unique value proposition well so think about it you you call in 20 different accounts we all know that 10 of them aren't a good fit but what happens is reps convince themselves that all 20 are likely to close mm-hmm. now they're not really likely to close. They're just convincing themselves they're likely to close. But what if you could figure out that seven of them, there's no chance whatsoever? Right. Well, now you can focus pretty well on the 13. Of those 13, you're going to rule out three or four right away. So now let's say I got nine to focus on. Mm-hmm. And by my next meeting, I'm going to rule out of those nine, four of them. Now I can really spend concentrated time on five as opposed to I keep all 20 in my pipeline. I work all 20 of them which means my time is split across 20 of them and I'm giving attention to some people who just don't deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, this makes a tremendous amount of, uh, of, of sense. I think this is a really great message. So the next topic I'd like to, to discuss is, is prospecting. I mean, you're, you're obviously, you're, you're very well known for, for your thoughts on prospecting and, and people hire you to come to their companies and teach their, teach their reps all, all about prospecting. So, um, what, what is the most important piece of advice that you have for field salespeople with respect to prospecting skills, the, the tips and tricks right from, right from me and Altman on, uh, on how to prospect? Well, so the, the biggest thing is having your finger on the pulse of the problems you solve for the people you're talking to. Because if I walk in and I talk about what my product or service does, I'm at a supreme disadvantage because now I sound like a stereotypical salesperson. If I sound like a salesperson, the person on the other side says, oh, stereotypical salesperson, that's right. I'm supposed to shut down and get you out of my office. Yeah. Because that's, that's what they're prompted to do. Right, right. But instead, if I, if I can entice their interest, disarm the notion that I'm just there to sell something, and then discover what might be a fit for them, then I'm onto something. And that's something that in, in same side selling, it's chapter four, we refer to it as the same side pitch. And the idea is that from a prospecting standpoint, I can go in and ask horrible questions. So the questions that most people get trained to ask are questions like, well, hey, Steve, what keeps you up at night? 
And it's like, you know, and the person could say, well, my dog licks himself. So now what do you have, right? You, you got nothing to go with that. So it's kind of, it's kind of a waste of time. Mm-hmm. But instead, if I say, you know what? So let's, let's go back to the dental implant side. So the dental implant yeah. side, someone says, well, the big issues I face are I either have these guys send stuff and it isn't to spec, even though we, even though we mold, create a perfect mold for them, mm-hmm. the spec didn't come right back. They don't get stuff on time or they rarely match the color right. And we end up having to redo the work. Okay. Then what I would do is I would say, look, you know, we work with dentists often because their current provider either isn't getting the product under the right spec, they're missing deadlines, or everything comes back looking great. And by the time they put it in and do all the work, they realize they didn't get the color right. And now my patient's pissed off, which causes me to lose revenue and my reputation goes down the toilet. Right. So our clients tell us, other dentists tell us that we deliver amazing results. They don't remember ever having a situation where something was late or the color didn't come in right because additional QC that we performed to make sure it's right the first time. But the way we approach that isn't the right fit for every practice. So I don't yet know whether or not we can help you the same way we've helped other people. But if that's an issue you're facing, I'm happy to learn more to see if we can help. And by doing that, you're, you're positioning in a way that says, look, if you're having one of these problems, we can probably help you. And the reality is if they're not having one of those problems, they're probably not a good prospect for you right now. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, everyone should literally rewind this and listen to what he just said again. It's so powerful. <laughs> Press the little back, the 15 second back button six times. <laughs> that, that, little, that little flow you just took, took, took everybody through is, is just fantastic. Um, so uh, so you, you, you just mentioned chapter four there. I, I wanted to talk about just the, the, the I mean, it, the key takeaways from your book, right? Like the, you know, assuming that someone hasn't already read your book, uh, could you could you take people through here? Here are the the key things that we teach in the book. Here are why they're important. Here's the takeaway, and uh, and just let people know, like if if they were to to spend the time on 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 uh, reading the book and getting to understand it and training themselves, what would they what would they uh, what would they learn? Well, well, the 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 for starters. The beauty is that chapter one of the book gives you an overview of everything that's in the book and chapter and chapter 10 gives you a summary of all the detail and all the key action points that are in the book. So the good news is people, if, those of you who are big fans of Cliff's Notes, which um, people in sales might often look for shortcuts in life, then you can read the first chapter and the last chapter and save yourself a whole bunch of time. But <laughs> the stories in the middle really make up the meat. Now, mm-hmm. keep in mind, I co-wrote the book with a guy named Jack Quarles. And you can probably guess from his last name, Quarles, that Jack is a guy who spent two decades in purchasing and procurement. So he's one of those guys. Okay. And, and he hates when I say that, but, but I think it's funny. So, um, so what, we, what we write about in the book is the adversarial traps that pit buyer and seller against one another. Mm-hmm. What causes those? And how do we change that behavior so we get the buyer and seller on the same side, like almost metaphorically putting a puzzle together rather than being at odds with one another? And, and, they, and we, we walk people through a defined process that tends to be most effective in accomplishing that. And it starts with this idea of finding impact together and understanding what happens for the client's business if they don't solve the problem that's important for them. So a lot of it comes down to discovery early on. What are the problems that are worth solving for that client? Because if they don't have a problem that, that they believe is worth solving, then the problem is when you go in to pitch them something, you may as well bring your wallet because you're going to have to pay for it because they won't. 
So we need to make sure that we're focusing on things that are important enough for them to solve that it makes it worth our time to help them find a solution. So once someone says, for example, and we'll go back to this dental implant thing, which is funny because I've never done work in dental implants. I don't have any, but by the end, people are going to be like, oh, the guy must be an expert in dental implants. You actually I'm sounded, just making you know, stuff up. Of, you, you sounded like, I was, I was actually going to ask, like, do you, have you worked in that industry before? Because <laughs> No, I have no clue. So, um, so but, 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 um, but I'm clairvoyant. So, um, so the idea is that if I'm in that dental implant side, the first thing I'm figuring out is, look, does the dentist actually have this issue? Or do they have these sorts of problems? And then what I want to know is, how does that impact their business? So the fact that their, their current provider is late and the color doesn't get right, that could be annoying to them. But what I want is I want the dentist to recognize that, man, when that happens, I reschedule an appointment. I lose referrals. People are now cranky that they've paid me to do this implant and it's not right. They're starting to question my ability and my skills because the vendor messed up. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that cost them? That could cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Absolutely. So, na- so now if your dental implant costs $40 more than someone else's dental implant, well, 40 bucks, who cares? But before they were thinking, well, you're $40 more. I mean, the other guys are charging us $350 and you guys are $390. So, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's more than a 10% difference. There's no way we could do it. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden they realize they're losing thousands of dollars and they go, oh, 40 bucks, who cares? Yeah. yeah if you get it right, that's all that matters. So, so we, we focus on something called issue impact importance that says first, understand the issue they're facing, then understand the impact of them not solving it. And then how important is that compared to other things on their plate? Okay. Then we want to ask people questions about the results. So what we want to say is, so how would we know six months down the road whether or not we were successful? Because I want to make sure that you can hold us accountable and we can hold ourselves accountable. So what would success look like? And the thing is, most vendors don't ask that question. But when you're going to a new vendor, what's your biggest fear? That they're not going to perform. So if the vendor asks you, hey, how can we measure this? You can hold us accountable. You instantly go, you know what? These guys are probably going to deliver because they've actually asked how they can be held accountable and no one else asked that question. So it must right. be credible. That's a great, that's a great question. Uh, that, that's fantastic. So, so that's, 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 I mean, at a high level, that's the gist. And keep in mind, everything that's in the book is based on research that I've done that is uh, with over 10,000 CEOs and executives on how they make and approve decisions. So there's exercises I've taken CEOs through that says, what questions do they ask when they're making and approving decisions? And then how do we align sales with that? And that's really the foundation behind same side selling. Fantastic. And, and one, one thing you brought up in there that I, I feel like it's worth digging into a little bit is the, is, is bringing up the ROI argument, the, Hey, you know, the, is, this is going to cost you a little more. We're a premium provider over the over what you're doing right now. It's ten percent more. However, it's going to it's going to save you this much money. How do you how do you turn the conversation towards towards the ROI story? Well, so the problem is if I call it well, let's measure the ROI. Then I sound like a salesperson, right? So if I keep it in simple terms and I say, look, I mean, the only reason you would pay forty dollars more per implant is if it was going to benefit your business by more than $40 per implant, right? Yeah. So let's make sure that we can calculate that because between the two of us, if we can't calculate it, then there's no reason for you to change, right? And now you're a little bit skeptical about it and they go, well, let's work through it. And if guess what? When it comes to selling what I call hyper value and hyper value is the area where the client almost doesn't care about price. It requires a mutual understanding about two things. 
The first one is there has to be a mutual understanding between the seller and the buyer about the impact to the, to the buyer if they don't solve the problem. Mm -hmm. So, gee, if I don't solve this problem, here's what it actually costs me. Then that we also need to have mutual understanding of the, of the value of the results if we get it right. And that, that gap between at the bottom side, the, the impact and the high end, the results, that delta is the value of what you're selling. And when your client says, wow, I hadn't really thought about it, but having getting the color wrong and getting this stuff late is costing me $100,000 a year. And if we get it right, man, not only will we recover that $100,000, but we'll probably end up with another $100,000 in referrals. So now your solution is worth how much? $200,000. Great. How many implants do these guys order? Well, they order about 500 implants a year. Okay. And how much is your implant, your implant? Well, ours is an additional $40 per implant. Okay, so now I'm costing them what? You know, um, what is it, 20 grand? Okay, but they're making $200,000? Yeah, this is a no-brainer. Right, right, okay. So, that's, so that's, that's the idea of, you know, wow, it's going to cost you an extra 20 grand, but you're going to make an extra 200000 mm -hmm. Oh, well, that's, that's fine. But it doesn't matter if the salesperson understands it the customer and the salesperson need to both understand it. And here's why I say this. If the customer understands that, but the salesperson doesn't, the salesperson will still be concerned about selling the higher price because they mm -hmm. don't understand mm -hmm. what the impact is. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, classic example, in my business, uh, you know, when I come speak to an organization, it's, it, it costs a lot of money for me to come in and work with an organization. Because I've worked with so many companies where we've doubled or tripled their growth rate, I feel totally confident telling somebody, here's how much it costs for me to come in. And I, and I, don't, I don't bat an eye because I know the value I'm delivering. Mm -hmm. They're going to get a 10 or 20-fold return in the first year. So this is a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah. But if I didn't understand the results they were getting and the impact of them not solving it, I'd be like, well, I don't know if I can do it. Well, I, don't, I couldn't charge that much. Why would somebody pay that? Right. But once you realize the consequence, it's easy. Yeah. No, and that, that, that makes no sense to me. I mean, it's the same for our industry, right? Like we, we know that because people save their, their receipts and stuff from their mileage that when they get Badger Maps, they drive 20% less and see about 20% more customers get, you know, they, they save a ton of time and drive less and they're able to measure that value. And so when we, when we, when we're speaking to customers, it's very important that we that that we understand well for a for your whole sales team of 150 people to ha, to to be have 20 percent more time. It's a big deal to drive 20. They, they spend a lot of time behind the wheel and they spend yeah. a lot of time on the wrong customers. And so we helping them do that better. That's and that's that's the the that's what I'm always telling my sales team to focus on that value. And the thing you have to think about is this: is that if they don't realize what they what they get out of those additional 10 meetings. It doesn't matter. So imagine if you combined your level of efficiency in terms of routing with better qualifying. Mm -hmm. So if they said, okay, so man, if I could better qualify like what Ian talks about, and if I could use Badger Maps, then what it means is I can qualify better on the phone. So of the 20 meetings I had scheduled before, now I'm only scheduling 15 of them because I qualify out five of them right away. Mm-hmm. Which means, but guess what? I can still visit 20 clients in a week. So now I get to put five into the queue who weren't in the queue before. 
Mm-hmm. And so now I'm, I'm calling on 20 well-qualified opportunities before I was calling on a best 15 of 20. So now I'm still having 20 meetings, but they're all valuable 20. And if I look at it and say, gee, when I'm in front of the right people, we close 70%. Well, now guess what? Those additional five people equate to three, call it three deals a week. So if you're dealing with a company whose average sales, let's say, let's say it's even $10,000. Well, guess what? They're making an extra $30,000 a week per rep through the combination of better routing and better qualification. So someone comes to me at that point and says, well, what does it cost to come in and work with my team? I got no problem saying, well, here's what it costs because you're going to save that. You're going to save that just in one rep for one week. Yeah. yeah. Now, if they're selling a product for $10, they should call someone else. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the case that, that uh, it makes a ton of sense. Well, final question. Um, Let's imagine that you had a family member, say your, your nephew or niece, they're, they're starting a career in field sales and, or they're struggling in a, in a career early on in field sales uh, and, and they came to you and they want your help. What would, what would be the key piece of advice that you think is the, you know, that, that you would give to them? Um, so it's, it's funny because I actually have nephews who are in sales. Um, so one of, one, of my, one of my nephews is a sales guy and one of the top performing sales guys um, at his company. And it was funny because it was after he was working there for a while where, you know, his boss was like, man, you know, you're really killing it. I mean, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I just, you know, I talked to some family members and get some input. And it's like, okay. And then you know, six months later, his boss comes in with a copy of same side selling drops on his desk and goes, is this your uncle? <laughs> like, yeah, it's him. Okay. So, um, so I'll give you, I'll give your listeners the same advice I give him, which is it gets back to what we said before in prospecting. You got to know unequivocally what problems you solve for your clients better than anybody else. And then you have to be on a mission to find people who have those problems. And you have to have the humility and confidence to be able to tell somebody else who's not a fit for you that they're not a fit. And it sounds bizarre, but if you say to somebody, you know, I don't think we're the best people to help you in this situation. Miraculously, those people are like, well, where could you help us? And all of a sudden, they're trying to find business for you because nobody does that. Nobody looks out for the client ahead of themselves. I remember I had a, an organization contact me where they had an event with 500 women in sales. And they said, hey, we'd love for you to keynote the event. You came highly recommended. And I said, well, you know, I'm really flattered. If you have an event for women in sales, do you think they would respond better to a woman speaking to them versus a man? And the organizer says, you know, I didn't really thought about it, but that's true. I said, oh, am I the first person you're calling? She says, well, no, embarrassingly enough, you're the fifth guy we've called. And you're the only person who mentioned this. And I said, look, I'd, I'd be more than flattered to speak to your audience. I'm just thinking if I was the audience member, I might be thinking, well, if this is women in sales, why is a guy talking to us? So can I refer to you to a few women who I think do an extraordinary job and if, if none of them meet what you're looking for, I'm happy to do it. I just want to make sure that your audience is getting the best value. Now, someone would say, oh, well, Ian, but you, you gave up that opportunity. You walked away from the business. You could have closed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could have. But I knew it was in their best interest to actually have a woman present to them instead of a man. Now, yeah. the director of this overall organization called about two months later, and this is not why I did this, called two months later and said, hey, we have a bigger event. It's all 4,000 of our reps are you available to keynote it? Right. Now, I didn't know that was going to be the case. That isn't why I did it. I just thought, 
it's not in their best interest to do this. So it's my job to point them in the direction that is in their best interest. And if you do that, you will have a long and successful career in field sales. That is fantastic advice. Well, I mean, we, we've covered a lot today, um, you know, from, from qualification through truly understanding your customer to your, your thoughts on prospecting, um, uh, to the, the takeaways from your book, same side pitch, um, getting, same side selling. Same so, side you know, selling, the pitch yeah. is the same side pitch. But you're right. Same side pitch is chapter four. Same yeah, side okay. selling because Jack never would have gone for a book called Same Side Pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, my, my tongue trips. But uh, getting, getting the buyer and, and the takeaway that you were, that you were well, one of the key takeaways was getting the buyer and the seller on the same side by understanding on a deep level what the prospect's problems really are and, uh, and truly knowing the problems you solve for your customer uh, and, and, and I, and I almost, I wrote down in my notes, empathize, like empathizing with, you know, Absolutely. Getting, getting yourself into your customer's shoes and really keeping their best interests in mind. And that, that's the, that's the takeaways that I, that, uh, that I got from this conversation. Uh, thanks a ton, Ian, for, for giving us your expertise here. It's been fan. This has been, your, your words are gold. I'll tell you, man. I'll tell, <laughs> they're, they're really I appreciate awesome. it, Steve. It's very nice. And I hope, I hope this helps your, uh, your audience just be better at what they do. Thanks a lot. Well, hey, I really appreciate your time today. All right. Good deal. All right. Take care.